The Power Connect Podcast is brought to you by Inawatts, winners of the 2022 Frost & Sullivan North America Company of the Year Award. This bill has turned EV tax credits into another political football which is kind of sad to see because I think the intent behind a lot of these tax credits was to encourage people to get into vehicles and also uh, mitigate some of that price differential between gas and electric. And now that's all out the window. It's just, you know, how much money do you make? How expensive is the vehicle you're going to buy? It does nothing really to spur EV adoption in, in my estimation. Welcome into the Power Connect Podcast. I'm your host, Fred Davis. Episode 45 of the program rolling along today on a Friday. Back like Jordan, wearing the 4-5, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a little over a week since we uh, chit-chatted with you last. That's okay. Look, we've been uh, busy working with our podcast partner, Inawats. Glad to have them on board. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what they're doing in the load forecasting and just data analytics space here in just a second. A big announcement uh, from the folks over at Inawats as well, so we're going to get to that here in just a second. But we've got a great episode for you today. I'm excited about it. You should be, too. Look, we try to stay as relevant as possible on the Power Connect, and of course, uh, no more relevancy right now than electric vehicles, right? I mean, look, and of course, you could argue, too, that everything going on in the energy transition is relevant in some form or fashion, but electric cars getting a lot of pub right now, and rightfully so, but the question is, and of course, the knock on them continues to be how expensive they are. What if I told you there was a resource available that could help you find an inexpensive electric vehicle? Well, folks, Wait no longer. My man, Mr. Matt DeLorenzo, a 45-year automotive scribe, joins the program today. And Matt is just, first of all, an all-around great human being. So let's get that out of the way first. But he breaks down the EV buying process in his latest book, How to Buy an Affordable Electric Car, A Tightwad's Guide to EV Ownership. And yes, if you can't notice the self-deprecation, folks, you will certainly sense it in the program today. Matt is an all-around, like I said, just a great dude and not only does he tell you where to find inexpensive EVs and that they are out there, but he gets into, and of course, again, you can tell this guy's been writing about cars for 45 years. He talks about uh, how range is affected, city versus highway driving. Uh, he talks a little bit about the used car market when it comes to EVs, and he also gets into whether an EV car is even right for you, right? So he breaks it down from a number of different angles as only Matt DeLorenzo can. So definitely get ready for a tremendous episode with my man, Mr. Matt DeLorenzo. But before we get to that, let me tell you about our podcast partner, Inawatts. They recently joined an exclusive group this week that includes Microsoft, Vonage, and Cisco, just to name a few, as they were recognized as the 2022 North American Company of the Year from research giant Frost & Sullivan. Now, why Inawatts? Well, they're hyper-aware of the role customer behavior plays in this new age of load forecasting thanks to a more diverse and sensitive grid. Therefore, Inawatts' AI-powered service-as-a-software platform provides real-time actionable information to retail energy providers, utilities, and emerging clean tech energy companies to help them better understand their customers' energy usage in order to not only transform how their load forecasting is done, but to provide a blueprint for how energy is being consumed and generated. They also educate clients on what their carbon footprint looks like and provide cost effective strategies to help reduce them. For the team in Etowatts, they're not just providing energy data, they're providing information for a cleaner grid and a better tomorrow. Discover the Etowatts difference today with a demo and go to Etowatts.com or connect with them on LinkedIn. All right, let's get down to today's episode. Mr. Matt DeLorenzo, 
author of the book, How to Buy an Affordable Electric Car, A Tightwad's Guide to EV Ownership. As we alluded to already, we're going to get into where you can find these. He's also going to get into, too, how the IRA and the tax credits included in that bill, well, as you may have already heard and you're going to hear, while Matt lauds the bill for its overall ability to bring uh, renewable energy and clean tech to the you know modern U.S. space, uh, not a big fan of what it has to do or what it means for electric cars. And like I said, he's also going to get into how he has a Nissan Leaf, the impact of driving it, what he's liked about it, what he doesn't like about it. And then, of course, also, too, gets into a little bit about some of the policies that have been passed as far as no ICE cars in 2035, kind of what that means, and he gets into a little bit of policy as well. So again, just a very, very informative, entertaining, and just all-around good interview. So please, without further ado, welcome to the program, author of the book, How to Buy an Affordable Electric Car, A Tightwad's Guide to EV Ownership. Please welcome Matt DeLorenzo. If you look back to the turn of the 20th century, there was a big competition between steam, gas, and electric. And uh, gas won out because there were obvious limitations uh, to electric vehicles in terms of range, cost, battery life, those types of issues that we still confront today. I was just going to say that haven't gone anywhere. Well, you know, I, I find it ironic because some of the better electric vehicles of the early uh, 1900s had a range of somewhere around 90 to 100 miles. And a century later, that's essentially what the first of this new generation of electric vehicles were able to achieve. You know, the first LEAF came out, it was like a 90 mile range. So the technology hadn't really evolved as much over that 100 years because there was not a market, not an interest. And it's changed quite a bit um, because of, of Tesla's success and also because of uh, government's um, this decision that we have to somehow transition from fossil fuels to electric vehicles. They seem popular, but the, the talk about them far outstrips their actual sales. They only account for about 4% of new vehicle sales. And that's in a vehicle market of 16 million vehicles. So we're still in the very early stages of this. We don't know how it's all gonna shake out, but they are a viable transportation alternative. And that was one of the reasons I wrote the book was to let people know you can, you, you know, you can fit um, an electric vehicle into your household fleet, but here's what it's gonna take to do it. You hit the nail on the head is that the work life has changed. Our transportation needs have changed. But if you're going to have just one vehicle in your household, you need something that has more range and more flexibility to handle that occasional road trip or uh, that situation where you may have to, you know, run out of town or, or go farther than the range of the vehicle. Because once you get into a thing where you have to refill an electric car versus a gas car, the gas car wins hands down. Five, 10 minutes, you're done. The best you can expect is maybe 20, 25 minutes with direct charging. And again, you'd have to go to a specific charging station in order to get that speed. You can't do it at home. And that charger needs to be working or not occupied. Or, you know, all of a sudden, your 25 minutes is an hour, hour and a half. You know, are we just in this? And, and, and I think, you know, and I had Joe Britton on from from Zeta and it feels like, look, we're in this very nascent 
aspect of the EV adoption. And I think what's where, where the EV kind of messaging has kind of gotten a little off kilter is, look, yes, they're great cars and they're going to be you know a big player down the line, but it's not necessarily, pun intended, the plug-and-play alternative to a you know ICE car right now. Uh, that's true, and I think that that's their two big uh, issues there. One of them is affordability, and uh, the other is uh, fast charging infrastructure. They're very expensive, and the fast charging in infrastructure isn't anywhere near where it needs to be right now in order for cars, electric vehicles, to be as convenient as gas-powered cars. I think the big elephant in the room is uh, plug-in hybrid technology. I think that that's one of the things that can be a bridge uh, to electric vehicle adoption, gives people a taste of what it's like to actually own an EV, and also has a situation, you know, let's say with a big hurricane, power is out. If you have a plug-in hybrid, you can still get around. So I, I think a lot of this stuff still needs to be thought through, and it's not going to be an all. And, and I think that that's the thing that I, I disturbs me the most about the debate is that it's a one or the other debate. It's either we're going to go all electric or, you know, gas uh, cars are going to rule forever and electrics have no place. I believe that it's a, it's a case of all of the above. You can fit EVs uh, into your household and your transportation needs quite effectively now, uh, but they're not the be all and end all. And you're in California, so, of course, Cali being the uh, progressive state that it is, especially when it comes to whether it's emissions and, of course, obviously the big, you know, bill that passed, uh, what, within the last month or whatever it was, where, you know, no mm -hmm. more ICE cars will be sold after – new ICE cars will be sold after 2035. And, of course, you being the journalist that you are, you know, I spent 10 years as a newspaper reporter, and so one of the things that always – kind of grinds my gears and we'll stick with the uh, automotive puns here <laughs> is that you know look it, you see headline porn and you know you only see a, a a sub paragraph and people forget to you know include the rest of it where it's like look you can still buy cars ice cars after 2035 you just can't buy new ice cars what's kind of been the sentiment in california with the ice versus ev debate especially with all the you know tomfoolery that's been going on over the last month well i think it's it's actually it's working on two levels there's the practical level where um, the highest ev penetration in the country is out here in california there are tremendous incentives to own an ev in california in addition to the to the uh, federal tax credit, which has changed a bit with the Inflation Reduction Act, um, uh, you also get up to twenty-seven fifty in state rebates and carpool lane stickers, which is a big deal. So uh, a lot of people are are looking to EVs as uh, transportation fulfill their transportation needs because of these incentives and advantages. On the flip side of it, there's this huge political debate going on. And I, you know, effectively, ICE cars are banned, but they're really not. The requirement is that it it it's it requires zero emission vehicles by 2035. It allows the sale of plug-in hybrids, which have internal gas engines. That's the thing that people don't get. And the time frame is so far out over the horizon. I look at a lot of these pronouncements as, as virtue signaling at this point. The closer we get to that implementation, 
they have enough wiggle room built into the language that my own view is it's just not going to happen the way that everybody envisions it happening. And we've seen this play out before. They had a zero emission vehicle mandate on the books in the early 90s that were supposed to take place by 2003. And they wiggled their way out of it. They all of a sudden discovered that uh, ultra low emission vehicles or uh, CNG powered vehicles, or remember flex fuel vehicles, met the spirit of the law. And if, uh, essentially uh, this whole idea that we're gonna sell 10% of your vehicles as electrics didn't happen. So um, I, I think the sentiment is stronger to push you know, uh, to push towards electrification and especially the manufacturers have kind of jumped in with both feet, but whether or not we're going to get there, it's a three-legged stool. You have the manufacturers, the second leg of the stools, the government requirement, the third leg and the most important leg I think is, is the public. And if they don't buy them, the stool's not going to stand. It's just not going to happen. How does the IRA affect new, you know, how will that tax credit affect EVs going forward? It really upset the table. <laughs> I can't tell you how messed up this deal is right now because before the tax credit applied to everybody and there was a 200,000 unit sales limit and it began to sunset. So Tesla and GM no longer could have offered the tax credits. When that bill was signed, it immediately pulled the rug out underneath any EV that was not assembled in the US. It also removed the 200,000 unit cap. Uh, the big benefit for it actually is Nissan with the LEAF because they were getting close to that cap. The LEAF is built in the US. So um, it's pretty much the business as normal for the LEAF. GM will benefit because they will begin to offer the, the tax credits, but not until January 1st. That's when that, that provision goes in for them. And also that's when the 40% thing starts kicking in. 40% of the battery has to have US assembly or sourcing. We just don't know how that's gonna shake out yet. And, and actually there isn't really a comprehensive list yet of now what's eligible, what isn't eligible. And so I gotta, it's, I gotta go do an update for the book by the end of the year. Because there'll be then there are, there are some new things too. There's going to be a four thousand dollar tax credit for people who buy a used EV. So we don't know how that's going to affect the used EV market. And then there are also price caps in terms of the vehicles you can buy. So on a passenger car, if it costs more than fifty five thousand dollars, it's not eligible. If you buy an SUV or a pickup, if it costs more than eighty five thousand dollars, it's not going to be eligible. So. The thing is that the bill made shopping for an EV incredibly complicated when it comes to finding uh, tax breaks and those types of credits. The state and local credits pretty much remain the same. So whatever credits you get at, you know, in your local state will still apply. But at the federal level, it is truly, and, and you had some, you got some like uh, Senator Warnock from Georgia He's like saying, well, we got to change this thing. Well, he voted for it, but Hyundai is going to build a big EV factory. But right now the Kona is not eligible or the Ionic is not eligible for the $7,500 tax credit when in August before this bill was signed, they were. So rather than trying to help 
the public, this bill has turned EV tax credits into another political football, which is kind of sad to see because I think the intent behind a lot of these tax credits was to encourage people to get into vehicles and also uh, mitigate some of that price differential between gas and electric. And now that's all out the window. It's just, you know, how much money do you make? How expensive is the vehicle you're going to buy? It does nothing really to spur EV adoption in, in my estimation. Now, where do you stand on, and of course, this is where your book, How to Buy an Affordable Electric Car, a tightwad's guide to EV ownership, and, <laughs> and you use the word tightwad in the most respectable way, fa- in the most respectable fashion possible, considering you call yourself a tightwad, which again, uh, you know, look, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There was a J.D. Power and Associate survey, and of course, we know how good they are at putting out surveys, and I want to say this was uh, sometime in the spring where they said one of the biggest hindrances to EV ownership, and you talked about this in the book, is that folks just don't know enough about them. Um, no, I think they, they uh, for the most part, are virtue signaling at this point. And a lot of them uh, tend to market their electric vehicles uh, from the old view of how fast they are, all the creature comforts, all the advanced electrical technology or um, technology that's on board. You know, you look at them, and the average price of an EV being sold today is $67,000. That's not an average automobile. The average automobile is still quite expensive, or, or vehicle is about 45000 But they're clearly a half a car, again, as expensive as the average automobile. I, I feel, and, and because their margins are much less in the more affordable end of the market, you don't see that many vehicles. They are there because they do generate uh, credits that are valuable to the manufacturer in terms of, of, of meeting various requirements. But I don't think they pay. It's all lip service at this point. I mean, the thing that's starting to really bug me are the Chevrolet ads where they're talking about, oh, we have the Equinox and we have the Blazer and we have the Silverado. You can't buy any of those vehicles right now. And you won't be for at least six months. So, I, you know, maybe they're preparing the ground or something, but this $30,000 Equinox is still fully a year away. So uh, I don't, you know, they do, to their credit, they do have the Chevy Bolt. They've been lowering the price on it. It, it really is right now um, worth considering because it's $26,000 and you do get over 250 miles of range. My Leaf S that I bought is roughly the same price, but it, it's got 100 miles less range. It still is eligible for some tax credit treatments. Right now, that's the most affordable uh, vehicle out there is the Bolt. You talk at length in the uh, book about your Nissan Leaf and, again, obviously the, the, the you know, more affordable options that are out there when it comes to EV cars. You know, are, are people ready to plop down 25, 30 grand, even after credits and what have you, for basically a compact car? Uh, that's the $64,000 question, isn't it? And, and a case in point, let's talk about unintended consequences for a moment. You know, one of the reasons why we're an SUV and a pickup-oriented society is because of corporate average fuel economy standards. Back in the 70s, the average family car was a body-on-frame, six-passenger, full-size V8 automobile. Cafe came along, and all of a sudden... Uh, the only way you could get that kind of comfort V8 power size was in a truck, uh, a suburban or, or uh, you know, a full-size SUV. 
and um, it took off. You know, everybody was downsizing their regular cars, but then everybody decided that, well, I can use a pickup truck or an SUV for my family transportation needs. And, and they were subject to lower fuel economy standards. So the manufacturers were more than happy to continue to build uh, those vehicles. So now we're entering the electric age and the market has been conditioned to like SUVs and trucks. The last thing you wanna do with an electric vehicle is put it you know, with heavy batteries in a big heavy vehicle. But that's where we are now. They get the margins, the margins are there. Um, they're all, you know, the SUVs are hot selling, the pickup trucks are hot selling. So they can price them and be able to put the electric technology in there. But as you can see in some of the um, reports that have come out about towing with like the F-150 Lightning yeah. and things like that, yeah, you can't, you can't carry a load. You're, you know, you're, you, you'll, you will adversely affect the range to make it, you know, uh, uh, not usable. So I, I think there needs to be an element of practicality. I think smaller S electric SUVs make sense, you know, for people who need some space and things like that. But that's where we need to go. We need more vehicles like the Chevy Equinox that they're promising and fewer Hummer EVs. What are the three things that you have found through, you know, through your research or your book that maybe surprised you the most when it came to, you know, being able to find a affordable electric car? Well, I think the 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 first thing is that there are they are out there. I I just think that a lot of people don't realize there are vehicles like the Kia Niro, the Hyundai Kona, uh, even the VW ID4 that that uh, are, are still kind of flying under the radar. I think a lot of the stuff that we see the attention given to in the media and, and the advertising are the lyrics, are the hummers. Uh, Tesla gets a lot of ink. Uh, the new Lucid came out. They're all very, very expensive automobiles. Um, so that's the first thing that they are out there. The second thing that I think um, was that the, the, the price delta between gas and electric is, is readily seen in the Hyundai Kona. They have an SEL gas version and an SEL ele pure electric version. The price difference is about $10,000. So no matter all the pronouncements about them bending the cost curve down on battery technology, which is the, the major cost component, it isn't happening fast enough to have to bring electric vehicle technology to internal combustion engine technology to parity yet. So that's why you need things like the tax incentives and 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 brakes like that. The other thing is that as there are more EVs being produced, which from economy of scale perspective, you think should bring down battery costs. Battery costs aren't turning down uh, as quickly because raw material prices are going up. You know, lithium costs more. Um, there's a lot of, um, you know, cobalt and other uh, minerals that are used in electric vehicle technology that the increased demand has actually raised the price rather than lowered the price of those raw materials. And so we're not going to see that gap between electric vehicles and, and gas vehicles significantly change as quickly as people were saying. And I think the final thing um, that surprised me was just from my own personal perspective is once you get set up 
in uh, driving an electric vehicle for your own use and adapting it to your everyday needs, it really is seamless. It's like driving a regular car. I, you know, I, it's fun. It's kind of fun to drive. I charge overnight at home. So, you know, you don't go to the gas station every day, but you don't have a gas station in your garage either. So I think the convenience factor is pretty good. And, um, you know, out here where gas is now six back up to six bucks a gallon, uh, it's, it's pretty nice to be able to get around without having to go to the gas station. But that said, in our household, we got another vehicle. We have a plug-in hybrid. Okay. And that's our vehicle for road trips. And uh, we get great fuel economy with that and plus 30 miles of pure electric range. So if we keep that topped up, we end up going to the gas station maybe once a month, if that. Now, you've had a, I mean, you've had the who's who of vehicles in just your own <laughs> personal life. Personal uh, life, yeah. My goodness. Uh, I tell you what, it, it reads like an, an 80s movie. Uh, AMC Gremlin, you've driven a Dodge Omni, a Saturn SL, uh, a Honda Accord, a Mazda 626, and a couple of PT Cruisers. Uh, and, of course, now, right. like you said, you've got a Toyota and a Hyundai. What, uh, you know, and, and again, you've driven, as you mentioned, you've driven everything from Ferraris to Fords. What has been, from a guy that knows a thing or two about driving a vehicle, uh, what's been that experience like in the Nissan Leaf, both the good side and maybe from a driver's, from a driving purist perspective, maybe the downside? Well, I think from, um, from my own personal tightwad history, and again, if you look at it, They've all been, you know, compact cars or, or midsize at best. They haven't been, uh, I did at one time, I did own an old Cutlass two-door. You know, this is back when coupes ruled the world in the 1970s, big V8 coupes, you know, the most impractical cars ever. And, you know, I did own one of those. But for, for family transportation, I've, I've, I've stuck with compact cars, either four or six cylinders, um, and uh, the Leaf pretty much fits in. I mean, I, I absolutely loved, a lot of people laughed at the PT Cruiser, but I love the flexibility of a PT Cruiser because I could take the seats out. I could haul a lot of stuff around. So the Leaf kind of fits in that mode. It's a hatchback. It'll hold five people fairly comfortably. It's a fairly compact package. So you can, you know, parking on city streets isn't a big problem. It fits in my garage. From that standpoint, it's really fit in well with the types of vehicles I've personally owned. And, you know, so as a tightwad, I could say I'm, I'm pleased. I think on the downside, there are some, I wish the headlights were brighter. I wish some of the, like the uh, heating and air conditioning issues that affect the range. Like when, when I turn on the air conditioner, I'll, I'll, I can see it on the estimated range, takes a bit of a hit. And the same thing with the heater, because it doesn't have a heat, you know, it's a lesser expensive one. The heat pumps seem to be a little bit more efficient and, and don't impact the mileage as much. Um, the thing is that if I didn't live in California, I probably would have spent the extra five grand for an SV to get about 75 more miles of range because cold weather will affect uh, okay. vehicle range and that kind of thing. So. Well, and, then two, and, and, and the other thing is, I, I do have access to 240 in my garage. Okay. And, and again, that makes all the difference in the world in terms of, of, of recharging. I didn't have the right plug. So when I first 
brought it home. I plugged it in on 120. It took 30 hours to recharge. Oh. <laughs> now it's down to about seven hours. And so. and, and look, I'm just in and, and I'm I'm going to go ahead and stereotype here. You don't seem like you're a, as you mentioned in the book. You don't strike me as somebody who has a lead foot. Uh, as I get older, <laughs> uh, yes. My wife tells me to drive faster, but it is quick. I mean, it's reasonably quick off the line. I drive it around in eco mode. I took it out of eco mode and it's actually pretty snappy acceleration, but I love cars. I, I love high performance vehicles, but I've gotten to the point that I, I just don't want to push them out on a public street. It just isn't, you know, I, you know, it, it happens to the best of us. We get old. I guess that's something <laughs> I get to look forward to. I'm, I'm still putting the pedal to the metal. Um, let me ask yeah. you this. And, and, and that's where your range, that's where your range will, will can take suffer. a hit. Right. But, Right. And, but I've, you know, I've cruised at, you know, 70, 80 miles an hour without breaking a sweat in my leaf. And, you know, traffic moves pretty fast on the freeways out here when it's not jammed. I've seen probably about a 20% hit if I'm on it. But then if you're driving around and stop and go traffic, you know, you do get the full, you see the full benefit of the 150 mile range. Have your tires taken a beating? I know that was a hot topic there for a while. Uh, EV cars. I, I haven't had it long enough, but I think uh, the thing is that you do run. Well, I, I take that back where I'm running about 31, 31 pounds of pressure in the tires. And I haven't noticed anything. Uh, I know that was a hot topic yet, there for a while. Rare, but tires. I, 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 yeah, I've only had the car since uh, February. And I've put probably about, I don't know, three, 4,000 miles on it. Again, it's it's a great run around local. It's not a road trip car. I've taken it up to LA a couple of times and I've actually stopped and quick charge to make sure I could make it home and that kind of thing. But it's, it's not a car I'm going to be, you know, uh, driving 40, 50 miles a day. I just don't. Just without, you know, giving all the, the, the good stuff away, where are we right now with the used car market for an EV and for folks that are, you know, looking to make that purchase? What's kind of the price differential right now for used EVs? Well, it, it, it can vary. And, it, and part of the um, purchase consideration I had for the LEAF is I actually was looking for a used EV. Okay. Um, as a tightwad, I didn't want to spend a lot of money. And I... <laughs> And I, and I really like the e-golf. I really like the way the e-golf handles. It, it's a lot of fun to drive. They had two versions. The earlier version had about a hundred mile range. Then they had a second version that also had fast charge capability that got up to about 125 mile range. Those, when I started looking at the beginning of the year were transacting at about 18 to $20,000. And that's when I figured out that with all the tax credits, I, I essentially could get a brand new leaf for what I was going to spend on an e-golf. So I, I think there's enough interest and used cars in general have been propped up because of the shortage of, of new vehicles. And, and some EVs have benefited, some haven't. And a lot of it relates to range. So a lot of the earlier Leafs, Ford had a uh, Focus EV, a lot of these types of vehicles, uh, the Fiat 500E, which is a really small car, only had about a 90 mile range. Uh, you could still probably find those in the low teens, 15, 10 to 15. The problem is that their range will deteriorate. You'll probably only see 60, 70, maybe 80 miles of range out of them. But I tell people that's the perfect car to get for your high school 
aged uh, young driver because, <laughs> you know, they're not going to be able to drive any faster than 90 miles an hour and they'll never get any more than 40 miles from home. <laughs> and you don't have to give them a gas credit card. <laughs> of course, it still doesn't help them drive any better, though, is the only problem is somebody who's got a 19-year-old uh, yeah, yeah, kid. Uh, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. bad driving uh, does not discriminate no matter what kind of car it is, as I'm finding out. Get you out of here with this. Uh, one, where can people find the book? And two, what uh, of all the books you've written, what, it, what was your biggest takeaway from writing this book? And what did you enjoy the most about it? Uh, you can get it on Amazon. Um, uh, both the Kindle version and the print. I do have a Nook version on Barnes & Noble. Hopefully the print version will be up on Barnes & Noble soon. So if you go to either one of those websites, you'll be able to find it. This is my first self-published book. I think that that's one of the things that really surprised me is the other books I've done through different publishers. Uh, the print quality is fantastic. The hard, I've done hardbound and soft softbound books the speed at which this thing happened because i started writing it in essentially late january and i got my first books on june 20th from amazon and it's print it's all print on demand the quality was a little bit better than i expected i enjoyed putting the book together because it, it brought together a lot of i learned things about electric vehicles that i didn't know before uh, I enjoyed researching some of the history of it, uh, but I enjoyed working with uh, different people. I, uh, I had some illustrations done by Henry Payne, the cartoons in there, uh, just kind of researching what's been going on and what the vehicles that are out there and figuring out how the taxes work and what's going on with charging and home charging and all that other stuff. So it's been, it's been a, a great learning experience. And the bottom line is that I really hope it helps people. I think that that's the, that's, the real reason I, 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 I hope by the book is that they'll learn that it's not the same as owning a regular car, but it's pretty cool in its own way. And if you can make it fit in your lifestyle, you can do it and not break the bank. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Matt DeLorenzo. You can catch all of the Power Connect podcasts over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, over on the website, thepowerconnect.net. Stay tuned, folks. Look, I know we took about a week off uh, trying to catch up on some things, but I'm going to tell you right now, uh, we're about to go ham. I don't know if the kids are still saying that, but I'm still saying it. We've got a slew of content on deck for you guys. Obviously, Matt killed it today. We've got MD Energy Advisors coming up here talking to Mr. Jason Schwartzenberg and then, of course, Phil Krosky. They were absolutely phenomenal, and they've got great stuff coming from what they're doing over there and be more. Uh, Andreka Bernatova, she was absolutely fabulous. Uh, Mr. Neil Dykeman, Brad Wills from Schneider Electric. John Belazare had an absolutely phenomenal conversation with him. And then, of course, Buck Martinez. And, of course, i got to shout out my girl Jamie Levin for uh, connecting us as well. And, of course, we've gotten a lot of great feedback from the Ahmad Atwan interview. A lot of great stuff going on at the Power Connect. We are going to be locked and loaded to end the year in 2022 and get you ready for 2023. And if you want to be a part of the program, and I know a lot of you do, give us a follow over on LinkedIn, Fred Davis and or the Power Connect. And then, of course, uh, reach out to me by email if you want to become a podcast partner and or you're interested in um, being on the show. I mean, hell, why not? Uh, Fred at thepowerconnect.net. Also, too, got to give a huge shout-out to my girl Sonia Clayton from the Global Energy Transition Board. We've got some uh, projects that we're working on as well. So, look, look folks, it's, it's happening. Uh, get on the train. 
get on the train is all I got to say. You are checking out the number one energy podcast in the energy space. Uh, it's about to go down, as they like to say. Uh, as always, got to shout out to the entire audience, the listeners, the guests. Without you guys doing what you do, we couldn't do what we do. Slap us a five-star rating if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, and we know that a lot of you do. And just again, thank you to everybody for listening to the program. This has been the Power Connect Podcast, connecting the energy transition one conversation at a time. Wake up, all the builders, time to build a new life.